1: Welcome to the University of Pleasure.
0: Where we have sexual conversation to help build a happier nation.
1: I'm Dr. Tara Jansen, licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist.
0: And I'm Jeremiah James, and I'm just a guy who likes talking about sex. Doc, roundtable hey. part two, I'm feeling excited because excited, my best second, friend second, is second, here. I think
1: wait- like, is someone else in the booth with you?
0: <sighs> okay. You really know how to kill somebody's momentum. <laughs> like, seriously, the reason he's off-camera is because I knew. I knew you were going to be like, oh, Greg's there, too. We'll get to talk about Greg. Yes, everybody, <laughs> we are talking hi. about Greg. Hello. All right, we're, we're not doing this again. <laughs> and we are back for Roundtable Part 2. And before we get moving forward would like to uh, say I'm sorry about uh, my little outburst there in the beginning. Yes, Greg is here. Our correspondent, who goes nowhere, came here to record today, and uh, I was going to do a whole little thing about it, but then the doc, of course, had to just pull the rug out from underneath my feet. It was just enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah. You get a little too enthusiastic with Greg being around. It makes me insecure. But anyway, the point is with all of this, my dearest and closest, newest best friend is back with us as well. (laughs) Sex therapist Laura Rademacher, everybody, is here again. Hello, Laura.
2: Hi, Jeremiah. Hi, everybody. Will you like me best, please,
0: today? Can you like me best? I'm feeling just a little bit insecure.
2: (laughs) Well... You shouldn't, because you're wonderful, and um, no one can do what you do on this show.
0: No one knows what that <laughs> is.
2: <laughs> that was such a diplomatic way. That was, <laughs> that was, that was,
0: that was so good.
1: In so many ways. So good. No one good. can do what you do. <laughs> I it, Laura, I agree with that well. statement.
2: I do have to say there was one time where my grandmother actually gave me a ribbon to wear that said diplomat. So that, that might be. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank
0: well, you. thank you. Just the same. It is exciting to have you back and to have Greg here. Actually, another human with me in the sound studio, which is exciting. And we are going to be jumping right back into the fray today on our Second part of our two-part roundtable series, and of course, when I'm talking about the second part, I am, of course, talking about the complexities of consent. No means no, but what about the rest? Part two, part du, part du, part du, dose, and you, dose, you ran
1: out. I ran
0: out. <laughs> Bye. Dose.
1: <laughs> so
0: many things. And uh, yeah, so why don't we jump in? Because when we left off, and thank God Greg remembered, because we couldn't. When we left off, we were talking about we talked a lot about. Yes, is what Greg was saying, right? Right there, Doc. Can we catch up on oh, that?
2: Greg, no, you
1: no. want to help him out? Uh,
3: actually, in in the first part, we kind of focused on the pendulum swinging to the negative side of the spectrum. Um, where we didn't really get to the whole pendulum swinging back to the yes side of the spectrum.
0: Oh, I thought we were talking about, well, I just, I like the yes things. I like yes, so. I mean, who doesn't like yes? Okay, so clearly I just was excited. So anyway, let's jump back in with the two extremely talented rock star sex therapists we have with us today. And we're going to let Laura Rademacher get us started because there was a, uh, what were you saying it was called? The, uh.
2: Well, there's a tool I use called the spectrum of consent. That was it. it was on the tip of my tongue.
0: It was right there. (laughs) I saw it. It was so close. (laughs) All right. Spectrum. Here we go.
1: Lay it out.
2: Oh, okay. So the spectrum, (laughs) it ranges from, I'll start with the positive side today since that's what we're talking about. We've got enthusiastic consent, right? which is wonderful when it happens. It's great. People feel good about it. People feel pretty sure of themselves. They're feeling
1: enthusiastic. You know, it's also, it's also clear. It's yes. clearer. Yes. Yes. Right. yes. yes. Which is why people like it. it's more easier to measure.
0: Yes. That's yeah. why I'm a huge fan of that. Very clear. I like clarity, as we know, here at the University of Pleasure. So like when someone's just giving you a hard, strong, enthusiastic, yes. I feel there's not a lot of interpretation there. You know what I'm saying? I'm just getting stared at. Did everybody freeze? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the booth and I was staring at him.
3: So I I, I, I seriously didn't freeze. I, I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Like, yes, if someone says yes and you know it's yes and there's no – availability of misinterpretation, then yeah, run with it. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. Woohoo! There we go. That's all I was saying. Please continue. It
2: is. It's a wonderful feeling. And I think in a lot of ways, we all prefer it. And um, I think sexual health professionals love to talk about it because it, it makes us feel good to go, oh, yeah, you know, there's going to be a lot of times when you know what you want and you go for it and you express it and your partner wants the same thing, and it's wonderful, right? It also makes talking about consent easier when it's really clear. Okay. Unfortunately, it's not always that clear. Sometimes it's a little more complex than that, right? So in addition to enthusiastic consent, I um, named these these two concepts just to have something, some way to talk about them. Um curious consent and non-enthusiastic consent. And so I thought maybe today we could talk about those. Enthusiastic, curious, and non-enthusiastic consent.
0: I am all in, let's do this. All right, so let's, where do you want to go from? Because I, curious consent, let's go with curious consent. I'm curious about curious consent. (laughs) Perfect. Well played, thank you very much. I'm a professional.
2: Well, the way that I think about it, I can't talk when you're making that face, (laughs) Jeremiah. You're like rubbing yourself on the microphone in this
1: invited way.
2: He better not be. I'm in the studio.
1: He's very proud of his pun, I think. I was. I
0: was very, very proud.
1: (laughs) Good.
2: (sighs) Well, curious consent, I think it can be helpful to define when you are curious or interested in trying something, but you might not be all in 100% no reservations, right? There might be ways that um, you'd like to try something, or you'd like to sample something, and then see how you feel about it. And if you want more or less of that, or you might want to tell somebody that you're curious, because it lets them know, okay, you know, there's we could go somewhere here, but we should be careful about how we do it. There should be some checking in. There should be some seeing how things are going for everybody. Maybe we need to do a little bit more learning first, or maybe we need to talk over some things about, you know, what are you curious about with whatever sexual thing you want to do? And also, are there any parts of it that make you feel nervous? Are there parts of it you feel like, well, I don't think I want
1: that part, but I do want this other part.
0: Okay, I'm, so I'm oh, okay, Doc. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I'm I'm curious, you know, Laura, just in terms of like, you know, I think about some of the clinical work I do and the clinical work you do, right? Like for me, I think one of the places that I see clients sometimes getting stuck, or just people in general, around curious consent is that especially if another partner's involved, like feeling like that curiosity, but being really sort of mm, anxious or hesitant to engage someone else in that curiosity for fear that that other person is going to like have an attachment to it. Right. Like if I say I'm curious, then that's going to be like maybe taken beyond curiosity into the, like, I want to do this, or I'm, I'm, I'm definitely super enthusiastic about it and we're going to keep doing it forever. Right. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It's
2: kind of like, I think of it um, sometimes when I think about how to navigate all these consent things, I think about like, how do you give people gifts? Right. And I think about it as like, um, you know, when you find out that one person in your life who's hard to shop for is maybe you see him doing a crossword puzzle one day, and then for every occasion for the next five years, you're getting them books of crossword puzzles or the crossword puzzle <laughs> dictionary, or, you know, and they're finally like, I'm not that into this, you know, like this is just,
1: we saw this one, and I think this could be a similar thing. Can I can I pause you? Just yeah. very important detail about my life. Somewhere in seventh grade, someone got me a yin-yang poster that I put on my wall. And then all of high school was defined by endless yin-yang posters and necklaces. And I'm going to be honest, just the one was good. It really satisfied my yin-yang needs. And so to your point, I have personal experience with that. I just wanted to share.
0: I really
2: appreciate that you shared that because, you know, what the, what the audience might not know is that Tara likes to tease me for being a little bit more of a hippie than she is. Uh (laughs) Or like maybe using jam jars as cups and things like this. And so to know that you you were so weird without a mason jar, let us be very clear. (laughs) Gotta stay hydrated. But no, I, I just didn't know how into yin yangs you were. But I'm yeah, I'm, I'm glad now to to just know that. it's
0: really awkward because I got to go back onto my Amazon account and cancel all her birthday <laughs> gifts. <laughs> this is just really feel weird. Curious, glad to know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I digress.
2: Yeah. Please continue, Laura. <laughs> well, I think that we just it you need to be able to gauge the level of interest to keep checking in to ask those clarifying questions about, you know, well, if you're curious about this, would you be interested in trying it this way or is that not the way that you're curious about it or, you know, oh great, you're curious about that. What should we do next? Should we jump right in? Should we read some things? Should we watch some videos? And only by asking are you really going to understand the level of interest that your partner has, right?
0: Right. So so my question then would be so if you're saying, I mean, how do we how do we actually navigate that then? And what I mean by that is like, so if someone's like, all right, I'm really, I want to know if you're really into trying, you know, anal, okay? And someone says, Yeah, you know, I'm I'm curious about that. I'm I'm into doing so. What would then be the next steps? Obviously, we're not gonna go, you know to ashleymadison.com and buy a bunch of things in preparation. Probably should have a discussion first, right?
1: You're saying obviously, but that may be something that somebody might do. So it's good to bring that up, okay. right? Okay. So, Funny.
0: that's what I'm asking because, you know, like what, you know, where where do you go because, you know, I may or may not have fallen into a trap like this where so there was curious consent involved and I may or may not have Spent $150 on a very large strap-on and then brought it home and like was like, ta-da. And (laughs) like, I did this for you. And they were like, oh, great. I mean, we were talking about that and I said I was interested, didn't think you'd go and spend that money. And so, of course, I was like, oh, I clearly missed something in this process oh, greg's waving greg explain
3: well not, not explain i actually had a question um so when we speak of curious consent is it done on the uh like the condition that the opposing person or who you're giving consent to is already at an enthusiastic yes or does curious consent also cover hey, I'm thinking about this and I want to approach my partner who I'm not sure if they're going to have curious consent as well or if they're going to look at me like I have 16 heads. Uh,
0: So many rules. I'm already confused. I
1: I love, I love this. I need to explain, Jeremiah, I love you too. But the reason I love Greg is Greg asks, like he's like a plant. He asks these questions (laughs) that are like, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, I mean, because it's a really, really good question.
3: Yeah, it sounds like we were just assuming that curious consent is only for people that are already enthusiastic on one side.
0: Yeah, I was going to get there with my analogy and what had happened to me, too. So, sorry. You didn't (laughs) let me get there, Doc and Greg and everybody. So, I was trying to give Greg the floor. It doesn't matter. I would have gotten. Well, we do like to steal your thunder. Yeah, whatever. It's fine
2: jeremiah the reason that i love you on this podcast is your willingness to immediately go out and buy big (laughs) strap-ons i really do appreciate
0: that (laughs) thank you laura thank you and i did actually do that and it was very expensive and i did not know how expensive and i was kind of like oh gosh (laughs) didn't really expect to spend that kind of money today so of course you know Greg had this glorious question that was so powerful that it broke the internet and uh, I had to reboot the system. But we're back. Everything's fine. Technical difficulties are fixed and we're ready to get some more knowledge based on the very complex and multi-layered question that Greg was answering in which my eyes glazed over. Though I still would like to say I would have gotten there with my analogy, but that's fine. So let's jump back in.
1: Do we remember Greg's question at this oh point? Oh, my God. <laughs> <Okay>. Greg, <laughs> please repeat uh, your question. Uh, uh, sure.
3: When we are talking about um, curious consent, is it do it like are we talking about it with the condition that whoever we are giving the consent to is at an enthusiastic yes already or Can curious consent be a condition of someone else that is curious consent or just know like they look at you like I think I said, like you have 16 heads?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's such a brilliant question, a brilliant point to bring up, Greg. Anybody involved can be anywhere on the spectrum. And one of the things when when there's an actual like visual of the spectrum, there's this arrow going back and forth to show you like, you might start out in one place, you might start out in curious consent, and move to enthusiastic consent, or you might start out at enthusiastic consent, and then move to non consent and be like, hey, wait, we got to stop this, something changed for me, right? So all of this is fluid. And everybody involved has to be good at kind of talking about where they're at and asking where their
1: partners are at so you can balance it all out. Okay. So if I can I can I just add something in there? Please I, do. I think to to a certain degree, I, I think Greg that your question is also a little bit around like that both of those both of those dynamics that you described could um uh result in someone being in a position of curious consent let's say you have a partner that's like oh i really want to try it like we use the example of like anal right like i really want to try anal good example and and somebody was like okay i'm curious about that right or somebody on their own was sitting around thinking about like anal hmm right And so from either direction of what you're describing, I think someone can be in a place of curious consent. Would you say that feels true to you too, Laura? Oh, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I think is
2: important, one of the reasons I thought it was important to include curious consent in this is because I think that you're going to get more of what you want from sex, or you're going to have a more satisfying sexual relationship with yourself and others. If you allow everyone to be curious, but not sure if that's where they're at. You know, so sometimes I think about the idea of roller coasters, right? Like if you've never tried a roller coaster before and you're looking at it, you might look at it and immediately go, that looks awesome. I want to try that. I want to be on that ride. Or you may look at it and be like, nope, I know I never want to go on that. But I think a lot of people look at a roller coaster and they go, I don't know. I mean, maybe that would be fun, um, or maybe I'm going to puke. And which one is it going to be? And the problem with the roller coaster is once you've committed, you are on it till the end, right? You don't but you, there's no mm-hmm. pause halfway through where people are like, "How are you doing? Yeah, Do you they, can we stop?" <laughs> yeah,
3: I'd like yeah. To get off, please.
2: <laughs> right. And the good news is sex never has to be like that. With sex, you can try something or you can, you know, dip your toes into something or you can start something. And if it's not going the way you want it to, you pause, you stop, you communicate and um, either you try something else or you change some of the dynamic. So when we allow for space for there to be curious consent, I, what I hope for there is that people are talking with each other more and that there's more trust built of you can say you're interested in something without having to commit to us doing it every night.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm with you there. Because a lot of times people don't, people don't know what they like until they do it, right? Like you might not know that you like a roller coaster until you get on one, or you might get on it and be like, JK, that was the worst thing that I've ever experienced, right? Right. But let and- me just
0: be clear, but that's really not a, you know, you don't want to use the thing like, hey, you don't want to use that as an example for curious consent, right? So like, so if I had someone and I was like, you want to try to handle? And they were like, mm, curious consent. I don't want to then lead with the next thing. Like, you don't know if you're going to like it until you try. That's probably not yes. going to be a, a a positive way forward, right? Well- am, I, am I right on
1: that? Yeah, but that I think that's more, I think you're talking a little bit, maybe we're talking about different things. I think you're talking more about like, trying to persuade someone into something that like, you might want to do, versus I'm talking more about like, for some people, they just don't know where they're at. Like somebody might be like, hey, I'd really like to try bondage. And they're like, I'm not sure if I can get into that. But I'm willing to like, get on that ride for a little bit to see how I feel. Gotcha. And that's really more about that. I did see Greg's hand. He's so polite. I saw his hand. <laughs> He's very polite,
0: of- even in the studio.
3: Well, and this uh, this is, um, you know, just kind of throwing it out there since we're talking about the curious consent aspect where there seems to be a lot of communication and, you know, dialogue about certain things where... I know some people love or they think like the sexiness of spontaneity is super hot, but it almost sounds like we're saying that it may even be sexier to have more of a dialogue and a pre-plan before an action happens. Am I hearing this correctly?
2: I think so. I think there's maybe a time and a place for both. I think spontaneity tends to be trickier than when you get to have longer conversations around things and plan and say like, okay, well, for this time, let's just try this and this, and we'll see how that goes and decide what we want to do next time. I think, um, spontaneity, if it's going to go well, you have to have people who are really good at checking in with each other, even if it is subtly right. Um, or reading signs of like, is a person responding really well to me? Or is a person has a person stopped responding to this? Um, And, and as we talked about last time, we all got together, reading signs is difficult, right? Like, just pretending, thinking that you know, what's going on for someone often results in mistakes. So I think, I think there is a way that some people are really good at kind of uh, creating a sexy mood around, you know, oh, now my hand is here. Do you like that? Great. And now my hand is here. Do you like that? And what if I would put my hand here? How would that go? Right. So that can work for some people. I've worked with a lot of people who struggle with that, Mm -hmm. where that doesn't go super well or um, where people get really wrapped up in their own experience and what their body is doing, and they kind of forget to be as aware of their partner. Okay. <laughs> well,
0: and what about pre-planned spontaneity? You still got to communicate, though, right? So, like, if you were doing, like, uh, hey, you know, I like want to try being spontaneous together, you could do that, though, couldn't you? Isn't that a thing you could do? Like, pre-planned spontaneity? Like, hey, what about this scenario? This You got scenario A, B, C, and D. And we're going to pleep. Pre-plan, talk about those things, and then maybe because we've all agreed ahead of time, we'll do those things in a very spontaneous manner in a way that's not quite planned even though we pre-planned it. And then, then you can have to read those signals and then if it's like, you know, you just got to pay attention if somebody wants to stop. What about that? Does that work? Is that even what we're talking about today, or is that just me getting excited about it? Well,
3: no, I I mean, that is kind of, I mean, like, I think we're kind of going off on a little tangent, but... Sorry um, Sorry about that. Well, no, 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 but it sounds to me like what you're kind of describing is stuff that, you, you know, the University of Pleasure has talked about having your sexual buffet where you know that you could pick, you know um value meal one through six but your partner just may not know which value meal that you're going to pick that day and so you can do a combination of the combination yes just you know say it however you want um uh where you can kind of set it up that there's a mix of both so that you can do the pre-planning but then still have that
0: spark of spontaneity in there that was what i was going for yeah, I, I totally to felt that. So Greg agrees. How about the uh, professionals? It, uh,
1: I mean, for so for me, like, kind of what you were talking about, Jeremiah. Like when I think about like, um, where do consent and spontaneity kind of intersect? That's like, what I was going for. I do. I do think that, like, to Laura's point, right? When when people have more open dialogue, like we've created really rigid views about what spontaneity means sometimes, right? Like, spontaneity means that there's no dialogue, there's no planning, it just (laughs) pops out of nowhere. And that's odd, right? Like, that actually really doesn't (laughs) happen all that often. Spontaneity can be, we planned a night to be sexual, but we don't know what we're gonna do that night. I mean, that could be spontaneous, right? Like, spontaneity is a dynamic that could exist with pre-planning. And to your point, Jeremiah, From my perspective, you could absolutely talk about some of these things that and you'll be curious about certain things and like kind of had a a dialogue on a walk, right, where you're like, hey, I think I would really like to try that latex suit that I saw online. Sweet. Right. So I'm going to buy that and be like, how would you feel about me just pulling that out sometime? Right. Well, I think I feel okay about that. Great consent has been there and then also you know you might try something spontaneous but also having that capacity if someone's like the latex suits out now and if the other person's like yeah actually I feel different now I changed my mind from the walk that there's still that flexibility in that to be able to say like but you sat on the walk so it was latex suit night I just want, you, you, to know, I just
0: want you to know like I'm envisioning myself in this latex suit and like jumping back out and being like yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then having my wife be like, you know, baby, I don't feel the same way from our walk in the woods. But and most maybe... importantly, though, that latex suit,
3: I bet you would be less expensive than the dildo that he got.
1: <laughs> I don't think so. Not, no, these are hard to make. Those <gasps> are actually really expensive. Are they expensive. really
0: expensive?
3: Oh, do we yeah. speak from experienced professionals?
1: <laughs> you speak from a base of knowledge? Laura, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> We have a great local store
2: called Bondesk, and you can uh, I don't know if they're open or if they're just online right now, but however, you can shop with them. Um, it's go in and you'll find that craftsm- craftsmanship costs money.
0: okay, Good to know, you- learning a lot of things. Now here's where I think we should take a quick break, and we're gonna come back
1: and we get it. Just really quickly before I want to make sure that Laura doesn't super disagree with what I just said, or if there wasn't something she would add. No,
2: I love that. And I think that that's part of, um, that kind of stuff comes up a lot when I'm working with couples is just helping people figure out how do you plan sexually together? How do you talk about what you want to do? How do you create that mix of enough spontaneity that you don't feel like it's all routine, but sometimes people part of them being able to be in that place of enthusiastic consent is like, I know I'm going to want to take a shower before whatever we're going to do. So like whatever spontaneity we have has to incorporate me knowing enough to get a little bit ready. Right. Not that everybody needs to shower before sex, but that's just a really common thing that I've heard from people. And I think that this is where the conversation just gets really nuanced with people is, you know, how do you work it out? How do you work it out so that all the factors that each of you need are there so that you can have the best time possible?
0: All right. So Laura and the doc are on the same page. Now we know that if I want to go buy a suit, it's going to be very expensive. And I think it's a good time to take a break. Don't you feel that? Don't you feel that it's a natural place, Greg? You're in the now studio, it's... so you're seeing you're seeing the process that I go through. You're seeing.
3: I yes, yeah, I, I and I was waiting when you said to take a break to wait for a response from the doc <laughs> to stay. I'm not taking a break now. Yes, yeah. and and now I feel, feel we've had the natural progression, mm-hmm. and we can truly
0: take the break now. So Greg says we can take a break. So
3: I'm, I'm in. Sho- I'm
1: in on taking a break. Just wanted to follow. And you're
0: in on taking a break. As Greg said, we could take a break. I don't want to make a big deal of it, but that's really what it feels like just happened. And you can't argue with that, Doc, because it's how I feel. Right. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. And we're back talking more about consent. I'm learning, I'm absorbing, I'm being present, and I'm excited to download more knowledge. So let's move on because we've got a, a third part of this consent because there was super enthusiastic consent, which was that kind of super clear and, you know, obviously my favorite. And then you had the curious consent, which we were, you know, going back and forth on a little bit. And then we have our third one, which is... Non-enthusiastic consent. Did I say that right, Laura Rodemacher?
2: You did. You did. So non-enthusiastic consent, I think, is one of the trickiest parts of the whole spectrum because it comes up a ton in real life for people. Um, but we aren't really given much information about how to navigate it. So for example, when I when I say non-enthusiastic consent, what I'm talking about are um, moments where maybe one person isn't really in the mood, but they're like, well, my partner's in the mood and maybe I could get in the mood. And so, okay, I'll try this. Right. Or sometimes you'll hear the term uh, thrown around maintenance sex, which I have mixed feelings about that term. But what I, what I think it really reflects is the idea of sometimes people, especially in long-term relationships, are um, having sexual experiences that maybe like they weren't going to initiate or like it wasn't on their mind that day, Um, but it was on their partners. And so they're deciding, okay, you know, can I
1: do this? Is this okay for me right now? Right. One of the things that we've talked about a number of times on the podcast, Laura, is this idea that like, you know, some there's an infinite number of reasons that people might be sexual and feeling sexual is only one of those reasons, right? Like I some of that, yeah. right? Like, and you know, some people, might be being sexual because they feel like they want to give their partner a gift, right? Or they know it's really meaningful to their partner. And then that like, you know, compersion, right? Like pleasure from the yes. pleasure of another person, they're not feeling specifically sexual. And we've also talked before and here on this idea of like willingness versus obligation, right? Like willingness is more that position of like, huh, like kind of neutral to like, all right, I guess maybe versus obligation is like, wah, wah, wah. I feel resentful. Yes. I don't want to. It's like, kind of boo, right? Like, and that sometimes can be a hard thing to identify for a person. And I am curious when you talk about non-enthusiastic consent, for me, I think about it in that more of that realm of willingness than obligation, but I'm curious from your perspective.
2: I feel like it's like walking a tightrope. It's like sometimes you're trying to stay on the side of willingness and not obligation. But for a lot of the people that I work with, they have been falling more and more into the obligation camp. And the next camp after that is resentment town, right? So it's, it's, I think that the, this is one of the trickiest parts. I love the way that you just described that Tara, everything that you just said to me reflects what the whole realm of non enthusiastic consent, because it can be positive or it can be negative. It can be positive of, of, I want to give you a gift. Um, I'm not feeling sexy, but I'm open to it. Um, It can be, hey, my partner really loves to do this one thing and it's not really my thing, but I don't mind doing it for them. Or it can be, my partner really loves to do this one thing And it causes a lot of conflict between us because sometimes I do it even though I don't like it. Right. And that's the point where it's really important to think about how can you shift that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you actually need to say no to because it's actually not okay for you or it's causing resentment? And how could you possibly make this experience a little better so that maybe you would be more like curious consent or enthusiastic consent
1: or at least the, yeah, I can do this and feel good about it kind of camp and if I could throw just one more in there, I think sometimes people are also really neutral. They're like, meh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> right, meh. Sure, sure. Yeah, I could take it or leave it, I guess. You know, where it's not like positive, it's just sort of like, fine, right? Like it's not good, <laughs> it's not bad, it's like, yeah, we did that, or yeah, I guess I can do that. And I just say that because I think sometimes a lot of people are in sort of a neutral space, but that's more just an aside. I think when I'm you very talk- very
0: really about- neutral. Um, like for me, it's like foot to the floor, pedal to the metal, live your best life, live the dream. So neutral for me. Why are you laughing? I'm having a very serious conversation here. Uh,
1: am I laughing or Greg no, laughing? No, Greg's
0: laughing. You can't see him because he's not on camera, but he's like giggling at me. And did and now you, you hear anything. Did I make a sound? No, you're quiet as a mouse, but you were physically laughing. But I was being serious. I'm not often neutral. And I think a lot of people out there are, you know, maybe even think that they're like pedal to metal like their old pal Jeremiah James is all the time. And so, like, being a little bit neutral, you know, might be a a, a thing that people don't really understand or, or maybe look at as negative, right? And that's kind of falling into the pocket that we're talking about here. Am I, am I kind of am – I, am I anywhere near what we're talking about?
1: I mean – I don't know, Laura, your thoughts on that, but mine would be like, I think you bring up a point of like, especially in a partnership, if you have one person that's like, I always know. Yeah.
0: That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. But I think a lot of people feel that way. It's like, I always know what I want.
1: Right. But their partner is actually like a lot of other people that really doesn't know sometimes or is more in a neutral or even like even obligatory kind of space um, that that that's a discrepancy and sometimes that can create conflict. And these are the things that we probably, I don't know, and Laura, I'll let you talk about that, but those are the things that I'm always encouraging more communication about.
0: Okay, well, Greg's got his hand up. Well,
3: I I think like when you hear the word neutral, um, especially when it comes to a spectrum like this, some people may associate it uh, on the negative side because it's just like, well, you don't even care to care one way or another. Wow. That's deep. You know, neutral. and so so where so where being neutral, like so I think the word neutral may need to be defined here on the spectrum as not necessarily a lack of empathy of any kind, but just like so it's not construed one way or the other. It is literally the Switzerland of this scope. Whoa. Uh, damn well, great. To me damn.
1: neutral between to me and they might intersect, but to me, neutrality and apathy are not the same things, right? So, apathy is more of the like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't care, right? But neutral is more like, you know, hey, do you want tacos tonight? Eh, I guess, I guess I could take your leave of it, right? I could have tacos, I could not have tacos.
0: That's a perfect analogy.
1: I don't know if it is, but that's the one I'm going with. Laura, what are your thoughts? <laughs>
2: yeah. I'm thinking about how I'm a neutral person about movies all the time. And it can sometimes cause problems in my relationship. So here's my, my metaphor about sex, right? Like movies, that some, it, I'm very excited about very few movies. And there are very few movies that I'm like, no, absolutely not. I will not see that. A lot of times I'm the person that's like, well, oh, okay, I'd watch that movie. Like, am I particularly interested I don't know, we'll see. Like, you know, and usually after a movie I can tell you more detail about like oh, I really liked that one or that one was the worst or like meh, you know. Um, but I can feel pretty neutral and that's different than not caring or that's different than yeah, that's what I'm I don't getting even at. want yes. to go to the movies with you, but here I am doing this thing. It's just like, oh, I feel open to some possibilities. Okay. Right? I don't have a strong preference. So I'm gonna throw a curveball out there and introduce another kind of consent that people need to think about in order to figure out how they feel about all this in order to figure out what they're neutral about what they feel strongly about and that's internal consent right that tuning into yourself and your inner sense of yes no maybe i don't know and what and learning to identify that and when you're talking about um you know couples where maybe one person has a really strong connection to their own internal consent and so they are, you know, frequently like a, yes, I want to do that. Or no, I know I absolutely don't want to do that. Maybe their partner is a lot more in the middle. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I have strong feelings about that, right? When someone's in the middle, it could be that they're really open to a lot of things. It could be that they have trouble tapping into that part of themselves that is giving them a yes, no, or maybe. And so they just kind of... um are really confused or unsure about what they might like to try. And really before we get to any of the kinds of consent on the spectrum of consent, we have to do that internal work, right? You can't get to enthusiastic consent unless you're getting that internal solid. Yes. From your body of yes. I want to do this.
1: Yeah. Or even yes. I want to try. Right. And so sometimes I think it's even that consent around I want to dip my toe in, I want to try, maybe I don't know that I want to commit, but I'm open to like, maybe even engaging in the dialogue about that thing, because sometimes the dialogue is the scariest part <laughs> yeah, right. for people. Right. I mean, as a therapist, I can tell you that the, getting people to talk to each other is very hard because we've not given people a lot of great skill sets around it, to be fair. Right. But like that is um, often, I think for me, like one of the bigger challenges is, you know, helping when trying to help people navigate that internal consent, right, is then also like maybe when somebody's like, okay, I've kind of like reached a point. Now, how do I share that with somebody else?
3: Agreed. I think that's brilliant. So wait, just one more follow up to that then. So like when you do have couples that either of you are seeing, do you get like, is, is there a sense or a majority of people that may not have resolved their internal consent that just then fall trap to the like neutral or the non-enthusiastic consent just because they really haven't done any self-reflection?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Or they've received messages that encourage them not to do that self-reflection.
3: Oh, okay. Hey. Okay.
2: This can be dangerous for some people. Anybody who's ever been called a slut, anyone who has ever had a partner make fun of them for something that they like, anyone who in childhood got messages of sex is scary and your sexuality is scary and if you have sexual desires, um, that means you're doing something bad. Those are all moments in life where we are encouraged to shut off our own perception of, do I like this? Do I want this? Do I not like this? So, this, I think this comes up for a ton of people I work with and for friends. And, you know, I've had it happen in my life where I realized, like, oh, this is a way that I have maybe gotten a message from myself. And have shut it down because it didn't seem like the appropriate message, right? So, like, let's go back to that latex suit. Anyone who is sexually adventurous is doing kind of a brave thing in our society, right? They have to face the idea of, um, what if this becomes public knowledge and I get made fun of, or what if there's like consequences, or you know, what if I tell a partner? And my partner's not as into this as I am. Those are all moments where someone might shut that inner yes down because it doesn't feel safe for them. But over time, when you shut down all your inner yeses or when you push through your inner no's because you're like, oh, this is the sex I'm supposed to be having, right? Like, okay, well, now I'm having sex in this way that I think I've been told to have it. So even if that isn't what I want or even if I'm getting a message of this isn't hot for me, I want something else. I got to shut that right down because I can't listen to that. I think that after a while, our bodies are like, well you never listen to me anyway. So why am I going to talk to you? Right. And I think after a while, our bodies are like, well, okay, I'll stop sending you these signals because you are making your decisions based on criteria that is totally outside of what you actually want or what feels good. And is more about what is expected or what is
1: not dangerous or... And it can create a lot of tangles, like internal tangles for people around like what you're talking about like that Mm, that ongoing impact of maybe like suppression of like wants or needs and like kind of saying kind of like either ignoring or like ignoring your internal no or your internal yes right like or not ignoring or pushing that away in some kind of way like over time like people do it just like creates such like an internal tangle that people are like I don't want to deal with this like I just don't (laughs) and so like you might see in certain couples sometimes or within individuals like a lot of sexual avoidance as a result, because it just feels too complicated, um, to try to navigate. And, you know, I think a lot of my time is spent with folks trying to untangle (laughs) a Mm. lot of that internal stuff. So then if they're in a partnership, not just for them, so a for themselves, but B then so they can start finding ways to communicate that to other people in their world. Yes. Uh, And that does require risk. It requires, and we talk about that so much on this podcast, like it requires risk because there is that potential for rejection. And so I think sometimes for me, I get, um, I get a little like crabby when people talk in language, look, you just need to tell somebody a, or you just need to do B. And I'm like, there is no just about this. Like this stuff is hard and it's complicated. So when people are struggling, it's for a reason. So anyway,
0: I agree. And I just feel, I'm so, I feel so grateful that I am so untangled, you know? <laughs> I, have, I mean, I feel like, a, like I just feel so, like, lucky right now. Like, all these things they're talking about, I'm like, well, I'm not tangled. I feel completely good. I feel great. And I just want to also say thank you, Laura Rodmacher, for saying how brave I am. Even though you didn't say my name, I knew you were saying I was super brave for stepping out and getting that dildo. And I felt it, I felt it through the computer. She was really talking about me. Thank you. I would just like to say. You were
2: brave. Thanks. You were, absolutely. I appreciate anybody who goes out and buys a strap on or a latex suit or whatever they are interested in because it is, well, I started my career in sexual health selling sex toys. Amazing. And so I saw that all the time people would come in the store and maybe they weren't even having any idea what they were curious about. And the act of finding something going, okay, I'm interested in this and then buying it. It's a huge risk. And it always felt like an honor just to ring up whatever they were buying, because they were pursuing something that was important to them, maybe, or maybe they were just curious about it. But either way, they were pursuing something. So yeah, you know, uh, go buy your strap on and go explore and do whatever. And then just if you have a partner involved, pay attention to that pacing and make sure that you both know like, what speed are we going at? That's here, right. right. We
0: talk about consent. We talk about where. And, and, and as we wrap up here, and I just want to say thank you so much for coming back, Laura, and giving us more knowledge in the world of consent. I would also like to, of course, thank our correspondent, Greg, who actually left the house and came to a different place to sit down here in the studio. And, of course, I always want to thank the doc, because she's a rock star. But, I mean, doc, do you see that, like, Laura sees me?
2: She (laughs) sees me.
0: Okay?
1: Uh, Anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's true. She, Laura is, I would say, about a thousand times sweeter than I am. (laughs) (laughs) And... (laughs) What I admire most about her is her patience, and it's really <laughs> a gift. And I'm going to let everyone interpret that in any way they want to. <laughs> like, I
2: so,
3: so Doc, so if we lay down a challenge for um, Ms. Rottermacher to come back, let's say, for four consecutive episodes, do you feel that the level of sweetness may go to a spectrum of sour?
1: Yeah, I w- Thank you Greg for bringing that. Thank you Greg for bringing that up. I would say that I began as probably not as sweet as Laura, but I began a little sweeter. <laughs> and then <laughs> okay. Time. <laughs> ah. Well, I've just yeah.
0: <laughs> I would like to say before we say goodbye, it is really important to remember that Laura Rademacher has a book out there that you can buy yes, on Amazon which is awesome. It is called The Principles of Pleasure. Working with the Good Stuff, as sex therapists and educators, has 4.5 stars out of 5, folks. 4.5 stars out of 5 and is clearly a collector's item. Did you know this, Laura? (laughs) Did you know this? I
2: think that's because it's very scarce. (laughs) Well, I'm just going to say this right now. You may not
0: know this. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it on paperback. But if you want a hardcover, it will cost you. $152. (laughs) (laughs) 152 dollars.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, Got some I good stuff more. in it. You even noted it in hardcover. You want to see? It's uh This is the only hardcover that I know exists. Oh, wow. And it's right here. So basically, you're selling it.
1: You didn't know that? (laughs) Did you you know you were
2: selling your own hardcover copy? I I have the only copy. I priced it at $150 for (laughs) it. No. But I do know the hardcover is rare. And to be honest, you don't need the hardcover. No,
0: no. And of course, we are only kidding. But please do go to Amazon or anywhere you get your books. Check out Laura Radebacher's book, The Principles of Pleasure, Working with the Good Stuff as Sex Therapists and Educators. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it on paperback. You can even get it in hardcover. But please check it out. She is awesome. We are so grateful she came back. And please, please go out and check that book out. And I would like to thank all of our panel today for everything. It is amazing. It is not easy to talk about consent. It is confusing. And it is... uh, One of, I would say, probably the most difficult topic or one of the most difficult topics in the world of sex and sexuality because there's so many different things out there. So getting some clarity from two absolute rock star sex therapists is amazing. So thank you so much, Laura, for being here. Thank you, Greg, our correspondent, who will eventually go out to these places that we're talking about. And I have a feeling I'm going to be trying on really awesome. Bondes, here <laughs> I come. In the future. So thank you we're all so much. We get an much. email from
1: them, and they're like, "We do not allow you to try things on." <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: I'll know still go that. anyway. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for coming. Take care, everybody, and we will talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: This episode of the University of Pleasure was produced, directed, and edited by me, Jeremiah James. It was written by Dr. Tara Jansen and me, Jeremiah James. The University of Pleasure theme music was written by the incomparable Robert Feldstein. Additional multimedia support by associate producer Kyle Binkley. And please remember, we want to be as inclusive as possible of the diverse experiences of others here at the University of Pleasure. So please email us your suggestions for topics that might be suited to you directly, questions, feedback, or just really great sex stories at contact at universityofpleasure.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to like, share, and subscribe to all of our social media.